first reading today is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 onwards. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heaters beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, And our second reading is Hebrew chapter 10, uh, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this series on the firm foundations of the Christian faith. Uh, It doesn't matter whether we are one day old Christians or whether we've been Christians pretty much our whole lives over many decades. Uh, We never move on from the foundations uh, of the faith. We never move on from your gracious provision uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never move on from what is the the fundamental um, meaning of life and, uh, and how we ought to live it for Christ. We thank you that uh, in this series so far, we've seen that it's been so infused with grace that the foundations of the faith isn't what we do, uh, but it's very much about what you've done for us and what you've given to us. And so we pray as we continue uh, this series that you would speak to us, help us to build solid foundations to build our lives upon. Uh, And we pray that you will um, speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. We thank you too that Sunday School is continuing on in this series that they began at the end of last year. 
and we pray for them uh, as uh, they too look in the firm foundations uh, as they begin a new year, uh, that you'll help the children uh, to have soft hearts to be able to receive your word, that those who don't yet trust in the Lord Jesus uh, will do so, that those who don't really understand what Christianity, what their faith is about, will be able to grow. We do especially want to keep remembering our brothers and sisters from Huayantang. Uh, many of them are from uh, a Chinese or Hong Kong community, which, are, which may be uh, more affected by the coronavirus situation. And we know that their numbers are, are down at the moment, uh, and, and we do pray that um, wherever they may be, they'd be trusting in the Lord Jesus, but that you'll also be providing a way back for them to be able to come back to, to Brisbane and to be able to come back into fellowship uh, with their church family. Um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to begin uh, this week in the same way that I began last week, uh, to highlight again that these firm foundations of the Christian faith that we're going through since the beginning of this year uh, is really based on God's grace. All right? It's full of God's grace. Uh, we've seen uh, since the first week that salvation uh, is a gift from God. Right? So salvation is a gift from God. It's entirely through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we receive by faith. And then we saw in week three that God, uh, we are given God's um, uh, new life to live. Uh, the Christian living uh, isn't something that we necessarily do because it earns us a salvation. It doesn't. Uh, we live the Christian life because we can be given a gift to be safe out of our sinful living to live a new, good, godly life. And then in week four, we saw that the Bible is God's gift to us, His very own breathed out words that makes us wise for salvation, right? helps us to know how to be saved and how to live the saved life. And then last week, in the fifth sermon of the series, we looked at praying to God, the wonderful gift of being able to speak to God as our Father who loves us and prayer being the crucial way that our faith is guarded in Jesus Christ. So once again, if you're back here in Brisbane for the first week, welcome home, uh, and it might be good for you to be able to go back and listen to the last five sermons to catch up on these Firm Foundation series. Now, our sixth foundation today uh, is another wonderful gift of grace. Right? We are saved to be a part of God's family. And as God's family, we are to meet together as families do. And we meet together to grow and guard each other's faith. Right? We are given the gift of being God's family, and we meet together to, to grow in godliness, in the faith, and to guard each other's faith. Now, once again, like last week, our focus passage is a really short one, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. But before we get there, I want to expand a bit on the doctrine of church and understand what church really is. Now, the word church uh, in the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament, simply means assembly. Uh, it's the word ecclesia, um, many of you may know, uh, and it's a very normal word. Right in Acts chapter 19, where there is a rioting mob right, out to get Paul because they didn't like his teaching, that mob is described as the ecclesia, right, the, the gathering, the church. So church, the word church, is simply a gathering. Now the question is, what kind of gathering is the Christian gathering? Right? What is the Christian church? Why do Christians, why do we gather for church on Sundays? And why do we gather for fellowship group, which is basically church, all right, on whichever other days of the week that you gather. Now, what would your answer be? Right? Why do you go to church? Why do you gather as a Christian? 
Now, for many Christians, church is where you go to do something or to get something. Right? Church is where you go to do something or to get something. So church is a place of worship, right? To do our religious, spiritual thing, right? To bring our service, our sacrifice of worship, our offerings to God. Or church is a place for spiritual connection, right? To get something, right? To get our spiritual fill, to get reconnected with God and, and His presence. And of course, you know, for many Christians, singing is a big part of how you get this spiritual connection with God. For some people, church is a place of learning where we, we get teaching from the Word of God. It's a community of, for fellowship. We, we get friendship and community life. For other people, church is a habit. It's just what you do every week. It's just a habit. Now, of course, uh, church for some people is not really anything. Right? You don't really do anything or you don't really get anything. Uh, they just go because, or we just go because we're dragged by our parents. In a way, we are getting uh, or we're doing just being a child who has to obey their parents. Some people go to church maybe because there is a girl or a guy that they like. They go to get the girl and to get the guys and nothing to do with God at all. Right? So church, for many Christians and for many attendees, is somewhere you go to do something or to get something. In a way, church is a means to an end. But I want to suggest to you, I want to show you that the Bible actually teaches us that first and foremost, church is not a means to an end, but church gathering is the end itself. The purpose of gathering is to gather, right? We church because we are the church. We gather because we are the already gathered people of God. Now this is where I want you to open up to Hebrews 12 and have a look at this passage which is really quite profound. Hebrews chapter 12. Now here the author explains to his Christian readers of a profound spiritual reality. All right? And this, this, this passage is quite dense, but he basically contrasts the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God who are Christians. Right? Follow along with me. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, a darkness and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose, vo whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But... You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Okay, very team, right? A few verses, very dense and complex, and I won't explain it all, but very clearly you can see, hopefully, that there are two gatherings that this passage speaks of, two foundational gatherings, right, that gives us an understanding of church. Now, the first one is described in verses 18 to 21, right? It's the Old Testament gathering. Hopefully you can figure that out. It's the scene at Mount Sinai, and Moses is there. 
If you know the Exodus, it is God rescuing His people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And if you've been here at SLE Church long enough, what do I always say about the Exodus? Can you repeat it after me? It is the great salvation event of the Old Testament. Okay, it is the Old Testament gospel, really, uh, the Exodus. It is how God rescues a people and gathers them around Himself as His treasured possession. In case you need a reminder, Exodus 19, right, says this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. See, having rescued Israel out of Egypt... The Lord God gathers, right, assembles His people before Mount Sinai. And He's present there with them, evidenced uh, by the cosmic signs right, that, that surround the mountain, the thunder and the lightning and the fire, the blazing fire, and by His booming voice telling them, I have saved you to be my treasured possession. Right, this momentous gathering at the foot of Mount Sinai is where we get our first clear picture of God's church. Right, this is the Old Testament church, and from here on, even when they go into the Promised Land, they will always have this gathering around the temple, which is kind of a, a portable uh, or as permanent kind of Mount Sinai, God's presence with His people, and they assemble, they church around God. But the author of Hebrews, in, in Hebrews 12, says to Christians that he's speaking to, this is not our church. Right, this is not our church. Verse 22 25, so Hebrews 12, verse 22 25, Christians have not been gathered to Mount Sinai, we've been gathered somewhere else, to another mountain, to the heavenly Mount Zion. Now, as you read the description of verse 22 25, it's clearly not a place on earth. Right? It's a heavenly reality that already exists right now. Right? And there in this heavenly Mount Zion, is the assembly. So in verse 23, the assembly is the word ecclesia, the church word of all believers in the presence of God, the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. The, the author of Hebrews is saying that this is the current, spiritual, heavenly reality for all believers. We have all been saved through Jesus to belong to this church, which we are at right now. Right? We're, we're saved by Jesus to belong, to be gathered into this church in heaven, and we are there right now. In a very real sense, we are living in two overlapping realities. Right? We are continuing on in our physical bodies. Some of you here are kind of having an out-of-body experience now as you're off in, this, in the dreamland. All right? But physically, you're here. But the reality is that we are spiritually also in heavenly church right now. Why don't you think about that for a second, right? You're both physically here now, and if you believe in Jesus and are saved to belong to His church, then you're also in the heavenly gathering now. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
This is the heavenly church that we belong to. And the reason that we meet on earth is to express that heavenly reality. As I said before, we church because we are the church. We gather because we are the gathered people of God in the church of Jesus Christ. Belonging to God's church is an ongoing spiritual reality that requires a physical expression, which is why we meet for church. Now, it's also very important and helpful, I think, for us to see that the other big picture for church in the New Testament is family. Right? The other big picture for church in the New Testament is family. Right? God is our father. Jesus is our brother. Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Timothy 3 tells us that we are the household of God. We are the family of faith. Now, this picture of being God's family really helps us understand how church is an ongoing spiritual reality that requires a physical expression of meeting together. I think family is a great example of that, right? Think about our families. Right? No matter where we are, uh, where we are in the world, where we are in our phase of life, uh, our status as sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, doesn't change. Right? It doesn't matter where you are, how old or how young you are, the status of being family with each other doesn't change. But good and healthy families, they will come together, don't they? Frequently, for many reasons. They'll come together maybe for at least one meal a day, hopefully for two, breakfast and dinner or something. Uh, they may, you know, play a sport together or, or go to the beach or go to the movies or for, or for a bushwalk. And maybe they even plan a yearly holiday, one, two, three weeks, you know, going off back to the hometown in, in Singapore or Malaysia or Hong Kong or going on travels to Japan or, the, or Europe or somewhere, right? Families who meet together, meet together because they want to grow their family bonds. They want to express that they are family. Now, of course, in our broken world, family time isn't uh, always great and it doesn't always happen, right? In our broken world where there's broken relationships and broken families, it doesn't always happen this way. And we feel the pain of that, of being separated by brokenness or by large distances because we live in such a global world now, right, where we have kids in different continents of the world. But it's this sadness of things not being quite what we hoped they would be that reinforces and emphasizes just what family ought to be. That it's not just a status that we have, but we enjoy it by coming together and enjoying each other's company. And the thing about coming together as a family isn't necessary to do those things, is it? We come together as a family because we are family. That's the fundamental reason. And this is the same for church. We've been given the amazing gift of being saved, not just to a new life, but to a new life together. Right? We're saved not just to a new life, but a new life together. Salvation is not individualistic. It is communal. We are not an only child in this family. Sorry to let you know that, right? You're not an only child. Right? There, are, there are many children in this great big family of God. This is how you understand church to be. Or do you have a, a consumer mentality? Do you mainly go to church to do your thing or to get something for yourself? Do you go to church maybe with the view that it's mostly a personal and private thing? You know the people who come to church 
you know, just after it starts and you sit quietly in your seat or in your pew, and then just before the end of the final song, you get out, right? Uh, is, it, is it just personal and private, right? Don't talk to me about church. Don't talk to me while I'm at church. If so, can I urge you to see church differently? Church is the gathering of sinners saved by God's grace. All of us gather together each week in church fellowship groups with all our brokenness, all our differences, all our issues and problems. When we gather together, we testify to the grace and goodness of God. We marvel at the fact that He has gathered us sinners together to belong to His family. As you look around here this morning, we are God's family. Don't ever look down on this gathering and don't take who we are lightly. I don't look down on who we are and don't take it lightly. Anyway, so we gather to express that we are gathered by God and that we are God's family. That's what we gather. But what do we do right, when we gather? So do we just gather and just sit around and just kind of look at each other? Is there something that we ought to do when we gather? Now, our passage in Hebrews 10 tells us uh, at least two really, really, really fundamental things we do when we come together. And basically, we do the things that help us to grow and to guard who we are. To grow as a family in the family likeness and to guard each other to make sure that we remain secure and in this family. So let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10. And once again, like last week, we'll begin with some context work. So we'll get to Hebrews 10 eventually, okay? But for now, keep your fingers in Hebrews 10 because we're going to do a bit of flipping around to the back just to see where we are, okay? Now, the author of Hebrews writes to Christians. And they are these Christians that he writes to are in real danger of falling away. They are starting to doubt whether trusting Jesus is enough. They are being tempted to go back to the old Jewish ways of having to fulfill laws and requirements to be able to get right with God. Jesus is not enough. And for some of them, they're hardening their hearts towards God, and some of them are even moving towards living a godless life, right? Being more and more ungodly as they see less and less need to trust in Jesus. So pick it up from Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 4, Hebrews 2. And the author of Hebrews says this to the, to the to Christians, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Pick it up again for chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Right? You hear what it says? Make sure you keep holding on to Jesus. Make sure you don't move into a sinful living away from Jesus. Hold on to your faith. And in response to, to this danger, the author of Hebrews writes to convince these Christians that trusting in Jesus and living for Him is enough. 
right? Chapter by chapter, if you were to do a Bible study on Hebrews, you will see that he shows Christ to be the only Savior, the only atoning sacrifice, the great high priest, the only one through whom we can truly be reconciled and brought near to God, okay? So this is the background to what we're reading here, right? The, the author of Hebrews really wants these Christians to hold on to Jesus and not to live uh, a godless life. So pick it up, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what's the, da the danger is to fall away. The solution is to hold fast to Jesus. If he's the only way to be cleansed, the only way to be right with God, the only way to draw near, near to God, then, then it's clear, isn't it? The solution is hold fast to Jesus. Hold tight and never let go. The question is how? How do we do that? Well, with all our might, that's for sure. Each one of us clinging on to Jesus with our dear life, but also with each other, with each other's help. Now, I'm a Liverpool fan, and you know what our catch cry is, isn't it? You will never walk alone, right? But for the Liverpool fans, they just think it's Liverpool fans that can claim that. No, Christians are the ones who don't walk alone. We walk with Jesus, yes, but we walk with each other. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now in these two verses, you see two positive instructions with one clear negative warning sandwiched in the middle. Can you see that? Right, the two positive instructions, firstly verse 24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then verse 25, encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. And the negative warning in the middle that's sandwiched there is the key, isn't it? You can't be doing these two things if you don't meet together. If you don't meet together, if you neglect meeting together, you can't stir up one another and you can't encourage one another. Now, why are these things, these two positive instructions so vital, so important? Well, they are vital because they help us to grow our godliness and they help us to guard our faith. They help to grow other people's godliness and to guard other people's faith. You see, as the church, we gather because we are God's family and we are to grow as God's family. We grow as a family by becoming more godly, to be, to be investing ourselves in good works, to become more like Christ. We grow as God's saved children, living out saved lives. You remember this from a few weeks back, Titus chapter 2? You remember how we had a sermon about living for God? Let me just remind us, right? What is the purpose of our salvation? We have to be saved for this, right? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, 
who are zealous for good works. Right? We're saved to, to love and to, to, to live out uh, good lives of good deeds, to become more like Christ, basically, isn't it? And how do we do this? How do we grow in love and good works and godliness? Hebrews 10 tells us we stir each other up. What do you think of when you come to church each week? Do you, do you, do you think, what do you think you're trying to do when you come here as we meet together each week? Do you see it as your business to stir each other up? To, to stir others up around you to grow uh, as Christians? Right? Do you see yourself as a stirrer? You know, that's an Australian word, isn't it? To stir is to like, create conflict. But here is not what it means, right? To stir here is to stir up for good things. Do you see yourself as a stirrer? Do you see yourself coming to church as a mover and shaker, right? Not in the terrible corporate sense, but in the, the good works and love sense. Do you know that you're responsible? You are responsible to speak up to the people around you because we stir each other by the things that we say it's often, isn't it? that you are to speak up, to teach a brother or sister beside you, to even to correct them and even to rebuke them when they need rebuking. Now in our church, there's obviously a strong Asian culture. And in our Asian culture, it is a shame-honor culture, isn't it? And in our church, like in many churches, there is a tendency towards conflict avoidance. We avoid conflict more than we avoid the coronavirus, I reckon. I try, I, I've been in church I've, in many, many years. Some of you have involved in, in, in many different Christian groups. And conflict avoidance is like, we're experts in that. We feel embarrassed. We feel unwilling to approach and confront people. Right? I understand that. It, it's not easy to do that. It's not nice. It's not fun. But it is important. You know, stirring one another up to love and good deeds, we think, well, that's the pastor's job. Uh, that's the, the leader's job. It's for them to do the stirring, for them to do the teaching and the correcting and rebuking. So I'll just tell the pastor and it's his problem. I'll tell my leader and it's her problem. No, it isn't. It's your responsibility and it is mine. It's everyone's duty and privilege to have a hand in helping our family members to become more like Jesus. It is all our responsibility. Now to stir one another... Isn't just, it doesn't just require a stirrer, it requires a stirree. Does that make sense? You're right? It's not just that you have to... If everyone's doing the stirring and then no one's getting stirred, that's a problem, isn't it? So, the other side to this coin is that there are people... It is, a church is meant to be a, a, a gathering full of people who are willing to be stirred. Do you see it as your business to be stirred up by others when you come to church? Do you expect to be stirred, to be moved, to be shaken, to be taught, to be corrected, to be rebuked. Is that what you thought of this morning when you got in the car or on the bus to come to church? That you came expecting to be taught, perhaps corrected, perhaps rebuked. Is that what you think of when you go to a fellowship group each week? Do you expect that when you come to church that someone is going to say something to you that you have to listen and perhaps even change? Or do you make it difficult for people to do so? Do you often convey a sense of self-righteousness, right? that, that you're okay, 
that you're, you're even superior, that you're above criticism and above being taught? Do you send out signals that you are only a stirrer, but that you're not a stirree? Do you send out signals that don't even try to give me feedback, right? because I have it together, and it is you who will be criticized if I were to ever criticize you? Think about the past, past week, past months. Have you ever responded to feedback, criticism, with self-justification, with defensiveness, uh, with, with stubbornness to feedback, to, to counsel, correction? Is your initial response to being rebuked, to put up the walls and to fight back? Have you ever done something like this? Because if you keep doing that, or if you just do it once or twice, you will push people away from stirring you up. You are showing people that you do not want to be stirred. Now the question is, do you even know? Do you even know how you come across to people? Is there self-awareness, right? Now one of the big things for me as a pastor that I always start with is self-awareness. There's no point me trying to minister or counsel or teach someone if they don't already know where they're at to start with. So let me ask you, do you know where you're at? Do you know how you come across, across to people? How stirrable are you? Now, something I want us all to really look in the mirror, uh, in the mirror of God's Word, in the mirror in your bathroom, in the mirror of your own soul, wherever the mirror you want to look at, and be honest with yourself. And really be honest with yourself. Ask the people around you for feedback about how humble and teachable you are. And ask with an open heart. Right? Don't, don't ask, and then when they say something, you just reject it. Like, I mean, they, may not, they might not be right in their assessment of you, but they may just be right. So maybe do the risky, weird, uncomfortable, non-Asian thing of asking someone for feedback today about how stirrable you are. That would be an interesting morning tea conversation, wouldn't it? Anyway, I will, I will be not floating around, so you won't feel any pressure. Um, but if you do want to speak to me about it and confess your sins or ask for feedback, I'm more than happy to throw in my two cents worth for your consideration. One of the big things we do as we meet together is to grow each other in the family likeness, right, in godliness and Christ-likeness. And to do that, we have to stir and we have to be stirred. I hope that we come to church with that kind of mentality. It's not comfortable, is it? But it's good. Can you imagine a church of people stirring and being stirred who will become more like Jesus? Isn't that awesome? Now, the second thing we do, the second big thing we do is to guard each other's faith. Right, we meet to encourage each other to make it to the end. Now, as we heard last week, and as we're reminded again here in verse 25, the day is coming, isn't it? And the day we're talking about is Jesus' return, the day of final judgment, where those who have stood firm in Christ will stand and go into his eternal presence, and those who do not stand firm, who turn away from Christ, won't. And so it's crucial that we keep meeting together to guard each other's faith. We encourage each other in so many ways by just simply coming together. And then when we come together, we can do so many things to encourage one another. We can speak the gospel to each other, reminding and rejoicing together in the grace of God. There are so many things that we can do that can inspire each other. When we are submitting ourselves to the Word of God, and we, 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 it's obvious when that's the case, because at the end of the sermon, you're, you're keen to share personally about what you've learned and, and how the Word has struck you and impacted and even rebuked you, that is inspiring to someone who is new to this. 
who's maybe a bit shy, a bit, a bit reluctant to go deep and personal. We can encourage each other when we express great conviction and commitment to God and His mission and service. You know, when we hang around and we, we're involved, you know, in cleaning up or, or, or in praying with someone or, or in assisting someone or, or providing practical support and love during the week, that can be such an inspiration to, to keep pressing on in, in this Christian faith. When people around us see us say no to sin, to say no to, to, to the worldly desires and passions, when they see us fight to have a wholehearted devotion to God, we can encourage others to do the same. There are so many things we can do and we can say that can encourage each other to hold on to Jesus and to live for Jesus until He returns. But for this to happen, we have to meet. We have to gather. We cannot simply neglect meeting together as God's people. So let me ask us, right, the, 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 the million-dollar question, I guess, um, the, the, the point of the sermon, how is your church and fellowship group attendance? How is it? How is your ongoing meeting with other Christians who support you and you support? What reasons or excuses have you used in the past year for why you haven't turned up? What reasons or excuses have you used in the past year for why you haven't turned up? Have you chosen a course of study, a job, an activity, a hobby, a pursuit that is making you less and less present, less and less able to stir others up, less and less able to be stirred up by others, less and less able to encourage and be encouraged to hold on to our faith in Jesus? What kind of decisions have you been making I'm not talking about the things that are forced upon you. Sometimes you are ill or, or there are things that come up in life and you can't make it. That's, that's all completely fine. But we're talking about the decisions that you actively make, that you choose, that puts your church participation and attendance at risk. If you have been making those choices, as we begin this kind of new year, new school semester, new phase of life, whatever, or even you're just in the middle of something, stop for a moment and make some changes. Make some changes. There is too much at stake, isn't it, to not go to church. Let's bring things to an end. Now, meeting together oftentimes can feel like some kind of legalistic requirement. Why aren't you going to church? You know, when you don't go to church on Sunday and then on Monday you get this text message from a friend in your fellowship group, you're dreading, right, having to explain yourself. And it feels like a legalistic requirement. But obviously, it's not a legalistic requirement. Together as a church is first and foremost a gift, a wonderful gift and privilege of being God's family and expressing that in a real physical way as we meet together for church each week. And it's God's wonderful gift of helping us to grow in God's likeness, in Christ's likeness, and to be guarded in our faith so we can make it to the end because the Christian life in this world, it's not easy. So let's not take what church is for granted. Don't let church get squeezed out by other priorities or concerns. Now, of course, as they say, I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you're here. Uh, and so maybe you already know all this. And, and hallelujah, praise the Lord. But maybe you're here on that one week that I've managed to catch you. The one in two, the one in four, the one in ten, whatever it is. If that's you, then this is the message for you. But this is also the message for us to take to those we know who are the one in two, the one in four, the one in ten, the twice a year on Christmas and Easter. 
It is maybe for you to take this message to stir others up towards a greater commitment to church. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way you have so loved us and poured out your grace on us in rescuing us and gathering us to be your treasured possession, to be your family. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our brother, who is also our saviour and king, and through what he has done, that we can be gathered together in the heavenly church right now, the spiritual heavenly reality that we are so amazed to be a part of, that will go on into eternity. And we thank you that when we gather each week physically at church and in fellowship groups, it is a physical expression in this world that we do belong to you, that we are gathered as your people, that we are your family. Please help us to see who we truly are as we meet together each week, that we will not look down on who we are, we will not take it lightly. And as we come together, help us to realize that we're here with such a privilege of being able to stir one another up, to grow more and more in your likeness, in the likeness of your Son. And we have the great privilege and responsibility of guarding each other's faith, to encourage each other to make it to the end, to be able to stand before your Son on Judgment Day, to have held firm to Jesus and to have lived for Him. Father, we pray and confess that we do find it really uncomfortable sometimes, really challenging to be this kind of active stirrer and encourager that there are things about us individually in our personalities, in our cultural makeup, that makes us want to avoid conflict, to, to feel the weight of the shame on a culture that prevents us from, from speaking up. We also acknowledge and confess that we are not always easy to be spoken to, that for many of us, there is, for all of us, there is self-justification, there is defensiveness, there is an unwillingness to be criticized and to be shown our weaknesses and failures. And so we do confess these things before you and we ask for your help. We ask for you to forgive us when there is that sin of defensiveness. We ask you to help us when we do have those fears uh, that have been conditioned by our culture. But help us see beyond our sin and our fears and help us see the importance and the need and the joy of being those who stir and encourage, the joy of being those who are stirred and encouraged. Please help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.